Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. And here's kind of the summation here. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right. So just a... Um, Quick recap on um, what we were saying last week, and then and then I'm try to put this in context at the same time. Um, what Paul is doing in chapter 12 is essentially um, application, you could say. You know, he's 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 done the 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 doctrine. Now this is didactic. It's it's teaching. So. When he says, for example, in, in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Um, what he's saying is, the therefore is, is saying, based on everything I've said. So for us, that's chapters 1 through 11. Of course, when he wrote this originally, did not have the chapter divisions, but uh, we do today. Didn't even have word divisions. I don't know if y'all y'all <laughs> when you when you uh, in the Greek they they there's no spaces. And the words are just all run together, and there's no punctuation either. So you don't have you don't have periods or uh, commas or and all of that. So um, so we've got it nice. We've got we've got punctuation. We've got chapter divisions, verses, verse numbers. Great. It helps in, in terms of reference. Um, so he says, I appeal to you, therefore, again, based on everything that I've said in chapters one through eleven. I'm begging you, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's, I pointed that out last week. That's important because it, 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 he's saying this is this is the grounds. This is the you might say the motivation for 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 what I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to teach you. By God's mercy, God's mercy toward us. And you can think about you know various passages that precede this. Uh, for example, Romans three. Um, you know we're all sinners, so. Um, so he lays out and makes the case that uh, um, we're, we're all in the same boat, Jew and Gentile. We're all sinners. We're all in need of a Savior. And God sends a Savior, not uh, like when we get our act together, but it's while we were still in sin, while we were yet ungodly, right? God demonstrated His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, um, Christ died for us. So He says in Romans 3, He set Him forth to be a propitiation for our sins. So all of this is just grace is, is the whole point. Paul's saying we're all in the same boat, Jews and Gentiles alike. Um, he, I mean, he, he comes at and, and He's directing, um, when He targets the self-righteousness, He's directing it at the, at the self-righteousness of the Jews primarily. I mean, that's the, that's the way the argument lays out in the first couple of chapters. Uh, because Jews thought of themselves as being righteous before God. 
And Paul's saying, no, you know, we're, we're, we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. We're all, he goes on to talk about, um, uh, salvation by, uh, by faith, through faith. Same for all, Jew, Gentile. Uh, and God did this whole work of salvation for an undeserving people. And while we were in rebellion. So again, so it's not like, um, there was something attractive about us. It's not like we earned something, God's favor. No, we were earning God's wrath. And, and, um, not only was there not anything attractive about us, but, but we were abhorrent to God as sinners. But it's while we were in that state, that God set His Son forth as a propitiation, that He sent Him to save us. So, so Paul's saying, based on all of that that we've learned, everything that we've talked about, about, about God's grace towards us, I'm begging you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. So he's basically saying, based on all of this, surrender yourselves to God as a, as a, Sacrifice for His glory to be used like like a like a animal sacrifice. A particular animal was set apart for uh, for sacri- sacrificial purposes. Set apart for God's use. Paul saying that that's what I want you to do because of of, of all of these truths. Surrender yourself for the use of uh, of, of uh, for God's use for God's glory. And he goes on to say, and in the uh, ESV it's worded this way, he says, which is your spiritual worship. Um, I like the, the King James there. It's your reasonable service. In other words, or, or rational. That can be translated rational. It's your rational service to, to surrender all is just reasonable when you consider God's grace towards us. In fact, to act, and this, this is where it's going to really um, be important for what, we're, what he goes on to talk about here in verse 12. To, to act the way he's instructing us to act toward one another. And, and, and watch for that word, by the way. Not only here, but in, in all of the New Testament, that, uh, that word one another. It occurs a lot. Um, because Christianity is a... Is a is, is, is a covenant community. It's a community of people, a body of people, people of God. So, he, he's telling us to, to act a, a certain way here, and he's saying, this is your rational worship or service to God in light of all that He has done. He's, he's laying the groundwork for this instruction that He's about to give. And then as we talked about last week, he goes on to say in verse 2, don't be conformed to this world. That is, don't be, don't be molded or shaped by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So he's saying in different words here, he's saying the same thing we, we talked about when we were looking at Titus. He's saying um, the grace of God trains us to reject ungodliness and to live godly in this present age. Same idea here. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. The word there is metamorphosis. Be, be metamorphosized, right? Be changed into something new. 
How? By the renewal of your mind, so that your, your whole thinking is changed. You're coming from a different mindset now. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. Again, the old King James says that you may prove what is the will of God. And I think it's just the idea is, is there, there is, offer yourself up as a sacrifice to God. That is, surrender totally to Him. And then your life will prove out God's will. In other words, God will work His will in your life. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And by the way, those are you know set over opposed to uh, conformity to this world. Conformity to this world would be the opposite of good, acceptable, and perfect. All right. So now, um, and I'm gonna skip over this kind of quickly too, but last week we, we also went into talking about how we, we function differently according to the grace that God has given us. He's, he's gifted people differently because we're, we're one body, but we're different members. But we're set in the body, and this, and this again is important for what we're looking at tonight. We're set in the body with whatever particular function that we have, that we've been given, for the benefit of the body. In other words, he, he doesn't just gift us for our own benefit. He, he gifts us for the benefit of the body. And that's, when you use the body analogy, I mean, that's easy to see, isn't it? I mean, my, my whole body is benefited by my foot, for example, especially when it's functioning correctly. And I, I broke my foot one time, broke two bones in my, in my left foot, and, uh, uh, you know, you, that doesn't sound that bad to have to hobble around for a while. But when, when you can't, you know, put weight on your foot, you, you find out your foot is a major, <laughs> it's a major deal. You, you need your foot. If, you know, if, 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 if it's possible to keep it, we want to keep it, right? The whole body benefits from it. And that, that's true of, of any member of the body. You need, uh, you, you know, both eyes serve a function. Your nose serves a function. And it benefits the whole body. So Paul is saying we've been graced differently. Verse um, 3 he says, for, for by the grace given to me, talking about himself, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So he's saying be humble. Again, that's, this is a major part of these instructions here, uh, but we dealt with it last week. Don't, don't, we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but think with sober judgment. Be, again, be reasonable each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So he's saying, um, think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned each one. For as in one body we have many members, verse 7 and, I'm sorry, verse 4, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 
function according to the grace that God has given you. Now, he says, verse 9, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. So, so he says, here's what I want you to do. I'm, in fact, I'm begging you. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable to God. So, so he, he draws from that Old Testament um, sacrificial system. He, he draws uh, an analogy from there. We're the sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. Now, a, a, a lamb or a, a goat or a turtle dove or whatever it was that they were offering um, was considered holy when it was set apart for the purpose of sacrifice. That is, it's holy unto the Lord. So, for example, all the firstborn among the flocks, holy unto the Lord. Because they, they had to be taken and, and, and offered up to the Lord. And they had to be acceptable. I mean, there was, there was criteria. You know, they, they couldn't be um, blemished. Had to be without blemish. Perfect, um, you might say, specimen. So that's the picture here. He says, I'm begging you, present your bodies a living sacrifice. That is, you're, you're offered up to God, holy and acceptable. So you're, you're, a, you're a holy and acceptable sacrifice to God. And, and he says, this, this is just your, your rational service or worship. And the reason some uh, translations translate that worship instead of service is because that the term there does indicate um, like, like temple service. It's, it's service in, in, a, in a worship context. So, so like if you were talking about the priest serving, that's the term that Paul uses there. Um, which is, so, so to do this, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, is your rational worship or service. Now, what does that look like? That's the reason I went back back to that verse again before we read 9 through the end of the chapter. Because what would that look like to, to be offered up like that? What would it look like to be that kind of... to be uh, engaged in that kind of uh, rational service or spiritual worship, rational worship? How would it look to worship God, to, to serve God in this way? Well, here's what it would look like. Verse 9. Let love be genuine or unhypocritical. That is, love without hypocrisy. I remember as a kid, and you still hear this sometimes. I don't think I've heard it lately, but, you know, we, we would, sometimes we would say, if somebody we didn't particularly like, you know, we'd say, well, uh, we, we had some kind of phraseology. You know, well, I love, I love them. In the Lord, or something like that, you know. <laughs> with you know, I love them with Christian love, something like that. We're trying to say, you know, um, God commands us to love, so we try to come up with this category special. And that's probably really hypocritical love. In other words, what we're saying is, I really don't love Him at all, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to act like I do because Christians are supposed to. Well, that, that doesn't fly here. He says, let love be without hypocrisy, unhypocritical love. Let it be genuine. 
abhor what is evil. Now, um, this is pretty common, but he, go, he goes through a bunch of uh, participles here. And I, and, I, and I like participles because to me, um, it just uh, helps me get the action part of it. Um, par- participles are in, in English are ing verbs. I-N-G, you know, running is a, is a participle. Driving, that's a participle. Well, um, like I say, it's common to see them in the, in the Greek, and I, I like to I like to point them out a lot of times when I see them because, like I say, it just helps with with that with that uh, action aspect. Especially several of them here are in the present tense, which which um, um, often implies continual action. So, for example, he I mean he uses he repeatedly here abhorring. That is, let love be genuine, abhorring what is evil, and holding fast, or clinging to, another participle, holding fast what is good. Now, sometimes when we think about good and evil, um, we, we, you know, our minds go to the extremes. I really think, you know, and this, I mean, this is just opinion, but I, I really think that's a way of trying to escape accountability. In other words, um, if, if, if I'm not quick to think of myself as evil and my actions as evil, then I'm probably trying to convince myself that I'm good, is what I'm saying. It's interesting to me that Jesus just, Jesus just uh, took it for granted that we were evil. You know, he he said, which, which, which of you fathers, if your child asked for a piece of bread, you'd, you'd give them a stone? Or if they asked for, what was it, an egg, you'd give them a snake? Right, now, he said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, and that, that just, that's amazing, isn't it? Well, he just assumed that everybody there listening to him and those of us who would read this down through the centuries, are evil. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Right? So, he just assumes it. Well, I say all that because when he says abhorring evil, that doesn't just mean that we dislike people like Adolf Hitler and Saddam Hussein, and uh, Kim Jong-un, or whatever his name is. Um, I mean, we look, at, we look at people like that, and we say, boy, they're evil. You, know, you, you pick up a newspaper, somebody's abused a child to death, or something like that, and you say, evil. Which, correct, that's correct, of course. But, then, you know, I have harsh words for Leslie or Jordan and evil, but I'm not so quick, not so quick to, <laughs> you know, not so quick to put myself in that category, right? So, when he says abhorring what is evil, I mean, he's going to go on to talk about our conduct here. So, he's talking about in our own, own lives. Hating how 
you could you could think of it this way too. Um, of course, you know the, the evil's in our, in our heart, but Satan does come at us with deception, does, doesn't he? To to uh, use our weakness. So so we, we ought to hate his deception, his 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 methods, and be wise to them. Abhor the evil and clinging, abhorring the evil and clinging to the good. So Paul is saying this, this is how we're to conduct ourselves in our, in our rational worship, in our, in our rational or reasonable service. With genuine love, abhorring what is evil, holding fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. That's pretty strong description there. Outdo one another in showing honor. Another participle. And I thought this was interesting for one thing because he, he's already said for us to be humble. Verse 3. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment. And we're told in other places, you know, esteem others higher than ourselves and so forth. But here's a case where he says we can compete. Here, here's, here's a case where he says it's okay for you to outdo everybody else. It's okay. In fact, the word, the word means to, to, to go before. Here, here's, a, here's a place where you can put yourself before others, Paul says, and that's in showing honor. Kind of paradoxical, isn't it? It's, it's okay for me to put myself before others in showing honor, which means that I'm going to humble myself and esteem them better than myself. Or it means that I'm going to not think of myself more highly than I ought. I mean that that's what it would that's what it would be to to uh love with brotherly affection and outdo others in showing honor. Verse eleven, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent but, yeah, be fervent in spirit. Again, another, another participle. Being, being fervent in spirit. And these, like I said, the present, uh, the present aspect here, um, give, gives the idea, uh, of, of continuing to be. So, so you can, you can, uh, think of it in those, those terms, um, that we continue abhorring what is evil. We continue clinging or holding fast to what is good. Um, loving one another with brotherly affection, outdoing another in continually showing honor, not being uh, slothful in zeal, but being um, continually being fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, or serving the Lord. Another another participle there. Serving the Lord and rejoicing again. Another present participle. Rejoicing in hope. Now. And, and then being patient, that word is endure, is, is uh, the word endurance. So, enduring, another participle, enduring in tribulation. And being constant, another participle, that is continuing to pray. Being constant in prayer. 
And 13, another participle, contributing, continuing to contribute to the need. And this, this is the, uh, uh, in the same, th- this word here that is translated contribute in the ESV, um, it's, it's, it's the word fellowship. It's, where it's just in the same word group uh, where we get the term fellowship or uh, it carries the idea of sharing, partaking, participating. So, so you, could, you could say it that way, participating in the needs of the saints or sharing in the needs of the saints. That makes it a little more personal, doesn't it? Instead of the way it's translated here, contributing to. Because what, what Paul is saying is share in them. And isn't that what a body does? You slam your finger in the door and the rest of your body shares in that pain, doesn't it? <laughs> in some sense. In fact, your whole body may hurt for, for a minute or two. But it shares in that pain in some sense. That's what Paul says. Con, con, continuing to, to um, share in the needs of the same. And you know, when you share the, the need, um, you're more likely to do something about it, probably. You, you know, you, if, if I take your hurt as my hurt, um, then that's, I mean, you know, having compassion is good, but, but, but that takes it to a little bit of another level. Rejoicing in hope, enduring in tribulation, constant in prayer, contributing or sharing in the needs of the saints. And again, another participle, seeking to show hospitality. I thought that was interesting too because that, that word there is um, seeking. Pursue means to pursue. Pursuing. Pursuing hospitality. And, and uh, you know, it kind of gives you the, the picture there of um, looking for opportunities, Right? Looking for opportunities to be hospitable. And all of these things, genuine love. I mean, he's laying out a description. And if you think of how these, and again, this is why I like the, the, the participles, because if you think of how these participles work together, what, what you've got is ongoing, continual action and simultaneous. So that you, you let love be genuine while you're abhorring what is evil and while you're holding fast to what is good, while you're loving one another with brotherly affection and outdoing one another in showing honor. He's saying, do these things, but, but not hypocritically. Do them out of genuine love as you're serving the Lord. And that may, that's, that's interjected right there in verse, um, verse 11. Do, not being slothful in zeal, but being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. But that, that again, is, is, is kind of a way of summing it all up, isn't it? I, mean, I think that's probably why he puts that thought in there again, uh, kind, of, kind of hearkening back to, to uh, verse 1. It's, it's a different term here. Here, here it's the, uh, the term for slave. So, so you're serving the Lord like uh, in the capacity of a slave. And do that while you're rejoicing in hope and while you're enduring in tribulation and while you're continuing in prayer, and while you're sharing in the needs of the saints, and while you're seeking or pursuing opportunities to show hospitality. And then he, he even goes um, through some instruction with regard to um, what we might think of as enemies here, those who persecute. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. 
Uh, remember back in Titus, speak evil of no one. Rejoice with those who rejoice, verse 15. Weep with those who weep. That, there's a, there's a, um, a great description of one form of sharing in the needs of the saints. Right there. Sharing in their joys, sharing in their, in their pains. And then verse 16. And this is another spot where it's kind of a, a, a again, kind of a description or a way of summing, summing it all up. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. You know, um, I'm a musician, but, but you don't have to be a musician really to understand harmony um, and, and, uh, and the difference between harmony and disharmony. <clears throat> this is harmony. Or this. This is not. <laughs> and anybody can perceive that difference, right? The difference in symphony and cacophony, right? Or as we used to say, train wreck. You know, and when we, we, we would sometimes, you know, be playing music and, and it didn't come out the way we liked it. We'd look at each other and go, man, that was a, that was a train wreck. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what we don't want. Train wrecks. We want harmony. Harmony. So Paul says, live in harmony. Harmony is is a beautiful thing. I I love to hear people sing harmony. I like to sing harmony, or at least take a stab at it. But I I love good good harmony. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Remember that. very similar back in verse 3. Not, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Never be wise in your own sight. And you, you know what? These, just like all of the, the lists like this in Scripture, it get real convicting real quick. It is so easy. Because of who we are. Because of the evil within us. Because of our sin nature. To fall into these things. I mean, I mean how many times, you know, like... Uh, Somebody uh, does something really dumb, you know, in traffic. Of course, usually it's something that affects me negatively. That's, that's the, the ones that catch my attention. Um, but somebody does something really dumb in traffic, and, and you know, what, what comes to mind? Not so nice words for that person, right? You know, what a lame brain, or what a dummy, or what, whatever it is, you know. Mm, Paul says, never be wise in your own sight. And then that was happening, you know, when, when we, when we um, put somebody else down. I mean, I mean, that by definition puts us up on a pedestal. So it's like I, was, I, I used the example earlier about um, uh, saying something out of line to, to, to Leslie or Jordan or something like that. What's, what happens immediately is, is you know... I'm exalted if you know if I if I'm if I'm putting someone else down then I'm exalted. I'm I'm wise in my own my own sight. That's not harmony, by the way. There's no beautiful notes 
That's, that's the train wreck. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Now, here is, is the idea is don't seek revenge. He's going to say that. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. With everyone. So now we're not just talking uh, in these verses, by the way. We're not just talking about believers, but um, believers and unbelievers. And if possible, Paul says, live at, be at peace with everyone, with all. You know what? That's, that's not always possible. But you know what is possible? Is to do right on our end. That's, that's always possible. On our end of the relationship, doing right... Honoring God is always possible. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. So in other words, again, don't seek revenge, but do good. This is the same thing Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, bless those who curse you. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then here's another um, summation, or what I'm going to call a summation statement here. He's summing it up. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, so the evil, like earlier when he says um, that we're to to let love be genuine, abhorring what is evil, the evil that he's talking about is the evil that's at work in our own hearts that that will express itself if we don't don't, um, suppress it, suppress the evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So you even bless your enemy, Paul says. They're hungry, feed them. They're thirsty, give them something to drink. And by so doing, you will heap burning coals on their head. Some people say that's a good thing. Some people say that's a bad thing. You hear that interpreted differently. I thought it was interesting. I was I was looking at uh, uh, Calvin's commentary, and he he said he, he just understood it to be a decisive thing. Uh, in other words, you're going to force them to a decision. They either they either um, are are convicted, so to speak, and and uh, and and they uh, re- repent, or uh, they're just more hardened by your kindness to them. All right. So that's kind of a, a picture of genuine love. Or to back up to verse 1, rational worship or rational service to God in, in, in the sense of worshiping Him. That's, in other words, this is how, this is how we, we live worship. This is how we, we live as a, as a living sacrifice to God that would that would be a sweet savor to him. That's by being Christ like, by being godly, as Paul says in Titus, 
in this present age. And Paul says, I, 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 I beg of you to do this based on everything that we've talked about in chapters 1 through 11 of how God in His great mercy has rescued us from eternal damnation and made us His own, even adopting us. Based on that, and the fact that we don't deserve any of it, Paul's saying, I, I beg of you, do this. Present your bodies a living sacrifice in this way. Love one another with genuine love. Alright, I'm going to stop there. Any, uh, any comments before we dismiss?